0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, well, if you would find your place in Matthew chapter 5, and as you're doing that, you've got a little bit of a maybe a little lengthier introduction today. There was a, an interesting novel published back in 1850 by Nathaniel Hawthorne called The Scarlet Letter. And let me just give you the brief snapshot of the summary. The, the main character was a, a lady named Hester Prynne. And she uh, she mistakenly thought her husband was deceased but he was not and uh of all things she uh she had a little uh, little affair with the preacher and uh so his he he was an interesting character because he was the one when she found, was found to be pregnant and had a child and then he was the um leading the charge to find out who the father was. like you need to admit and tell everybody who the father. Was. It's like, well um, you don't really want her to do that because it's you. Um, so then her uh, estranged husband uh, comes back on the scene and uh, he's a doctor. and so when the preacher gets sick and is dying, he's the one that's tending to the man who uh, had an affair with his wife. Isn't that interesting? Um, so, you know, she wore, the name of the book, she wore this big letter A on her outfit, standing for adultery. And so she's, she's uh, easily identifiable in town, right? And so everyone was kind of treating her differently because of that. But one thing that was interesting as the book goes on is she was nice, compassionate, dignified, uh, notwithstanding the big A that she wore around for her adultery. But uh, So people, over time, people uh, were less and less uh, exclusive, I guess, toward her uh, as far as treating her poorly. Over time, they kind of... Relax their feelings against her. And so then, of course, the, the preacher eventually dies. And um, it's just, a, to me, it was just a terrible story. You know, just all the way around, just a terrible story. Uh, it's, it's hailed as a classic novel, a classic moral lesson, you know. Uh, but it's just curious to me how people view things differently than God does. Uh, I read Isaiah 55 at the beginning of the service this morning. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. Right? The difference between the heavens and the earth, God's ways, God's thoughts, are higher, different than ours. And so, when you look at something even like a fictional novel... From 1850, about a woman who committed adultery and how she's viewed by those in town, even that's different than the way God sees things. And so, when you get to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, then you're just kind of, you know, I'll just give you from my perspective. I'm trying to study and prepare just like I would for any other passage of Scripture, and I've only got four verses, and you know, but those four verses are filled with controversy and, and difficulty, you know. And you and, and I should say that last week, this week, the next few weeks are all governed by one verse. Look in your Bible right now. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So remember two weeks ago when we were on that passage, the the key takeaway there was we need a better righteousness. We don't have we don't have enough. Right? We need something better. That's Jesus Christ, his righteousness. He has given us his righteousness. And that's what we need because that's the only way we will see the kingdom of heaven. So, last week we talked about murder and anger. And so, here we are today. And you just take a look at the screen, the title of the message I'm an adulterer. Now, before I get any further, I need to tell you that my wife knows everything I'm about to say. The whole thing. You ready? I am an adulterer. So before anybody freaks out and starts wondering, let me add something to that statement. With the possible exception of some very young folks in our midst in the room today, all of you are adulterers also. And before you say to yourself, well, I know he's not talking about me. I'm I'm talking about you. That's a great introduction, isn't it? A <laughs> bunch of adulterers. <laughs> well, now let me explain. Now I want to be real specific. I have never been unfaithful to my wife, physically speaking. However, when you take the definition of adultery, and it is biblically understood to include roaming eyes. Careless words. Sinful hearts. Evil thoughts. Now when you include all that stuff, then what I unfortunately discover is that I'm not as innocent as I may have thought. And that's why we all fall into this unfortunate category of adulterers. In fact, the more I look at my sinful heart and I look at the Scripture, I keep going back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, back into the Beatitudes. You know, like uh, look at verse 3, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, that's what happens when you see your sin. You start to realize you're in a state of spiritual bankruptcy. And this should help you to see how desperately you need Jesus. You could even look back in the Old Testament. You could look in some of the prophets. Jeremiah, to be exact. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. And here's what you read there. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick Who can understand it? So today, this part of the Sermon on the Mount which Jesus taught, it shows us more of the theme that we started last week. That phrase, you've heard it said, but I say to you this. This, this, Jesus is going to show us what this really means. He's going to quote some scripture and then he's going to explain it. So let me read these four verses from Matthew five twenty seven through 30. And it's on the screen if you'd like to follow along or in your own Bible. Here's what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And by the way, the the inverse is true. So don't think we're picking on men here. Women, if you look at a man, it applies equally. Verse 29, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Father, your word is before us and it is not easy. So I pray you would help me. Help me to just say what you have said and explain it according to your will and your ways and. If there's anything I'm going to say that's not in line with your Word, I pray you'll just maybe let me forget it or not say it, but I pray you'll be honored through the teaching of your Word and that we would understand and obey for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. So here's the common theme, the little phrase that Jesus has employed here to help us understand. You've heard this, but let me tell you something. Verse 27, you have heard. He quotes Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, commandment number 7. We know the Ten Commandments. Number 7, you shall not commit adultery. Right? So that's what he's saying. You've heard this. You remember this. It was given twice. Once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments. Number 7, you shall not commit adultery. So that he's making sure everybody's on the same foundation. You've heard this; you know what it says. Then in verse 28, he says those familiar words. But I say to you, and I want to break this down. There's there's several phrases, words in here. I want to just take one by one. The first one is everyone. In verse 28, everyone. That's anyone. And everyone, meaning no one is immune from this temptation. Nobody gets a pass. Okay? Everyone. Now what's the next word? Everyone who looks. Okay, so now, here we're talking about one of the senses, the eyes. So if it involves the eyes, that means it also involves the brain, which means it also involves the thoughts. See how that works? everyone who looks well okay let's look at the next phrase everyone who looks with lust now that word lust we're talking about intense longing craving desire and this is this is where you have to be really careful because that word is really interesting because here's uh, here's another temptation within a temptation the temptation is to rationalize our thoughts and to to maybe lie to ourselves to a certain extent and to say, well, I mean, I wasn't really really thinking. I wasn't really, you know, looking like that. Because you know as well as I do, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to telling the truth. Because we'll we'll make ourselves feel better about ourselves, right? And so we might not mean to, but that's kind of our default, right? Our default is to look out for ourselves, and to think, well, those other folks now they're not they're they're bad, but I'm not that bad, right? That that's how you know that's nonsense. We can I can see everybody else's sin a lot clearer than I can see my own, right? And, and we're all like that. Everyone who looks with lust, intense longing or desire, Jesus says, has already committed. That phrase, already committed. Jesus does not say you are in danger of committing adultery as you look. Jesus says you have already committed adultery when you look. When you look in a certain way, with a certain thought in your heart and mind. Does that make sense? It's... It's not that, all right, be on your guard. There's danger, Will Robinson. No, no, no. It's already happened. Already happened. Everyone who looks with lust in their heart has already committed adultery. Now, the last phrase, in his or her heart. You know what's interesting? This is the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew's Gospel. If you go over to Luke chapter 6 and Luke's record of the Sermon on the Mount, same teaching, verse 45, Jesus says these words. He's talking about a good man bringing forth good things from the good that's stored up in his heart and an evil man bringing forth evil things from the evil stored up in his heart. And then his summary statement in verse 45 says, for out of the overflow of a man's heart his mouth speaks. By the way, this is why when we get in super intense or stressful situations, whatever is in us, in our hearts, it's coming out. Right? So, uh, people say this all, all the time. I, I've heard people say this frequently. Uh, well, you know, difficult situations, uh, they build character. No, they don't. They reveal character your character is built and so when you get in a difficult situation a stressful situation you're not building character you're just showing what kind of character is really deep inside in your heart out of the abundance of your heart your mouth speaks thoughts look at the progression thoughts proceed from not not the mind from the heart because the heart drives the mind so, thoughts proceed from the heart. Looks proceed from the heart. Words proceed from the heart. Actions proceed from the heart. But look at the, look at the progression. See, Jesus says, you've heard this, you shall not commit adultery. But I'm saying to you, if you even look with an intent or a thought or a motive... Then the sin has already been committed, and here's why. How how does this how does this work really? There's some things in your heart which fuels your mind, which causes your thoughts, which could lead to words, which will ultimately lead to actions. The heart is the source of the sin. Does that make sense? It's in here. You understand, when God knows us the way He knows us, because He's created us, so there are things about me and you that no one else in this room knows, but God knows every bit of it. And we're not trying to stand approved in front of one another. We have to stand before God. So, it doesn't matter what you think about me, it matters what God thinks about me. I, I want... We don't live our lives, to tr- I hope, to try to offend people, right? We want, I, I want to be liked. But when I step up here, or when I am uh, alone with my thoughts... I can't be concerned if everybody likes me. I should be concerned what God thinks about what I'm doing or what I'm thinking or what I'm saying or how I'm acting. How does God see that? Because he's the judge. all these things, this is why Jesus went to this extent just to, to it, it, like it seems like Overkill, right? Well you even look. At He says, I mean, like I said, it's true for both uh, men and women, but verse 28, you even look at a woman with lust for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It seems a little harsh, right? But it's not. Because God knows the heart. The same God who said you even look with lust you've already committed adultery is the same god who inspired jeremiah to say the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked and sick how can we understand and this is why by the way just this is just a little parenthesis in this this right here is why the one of the most damaging statements that the world will tell us is this. You probably already know what I'm going to say. Just follow your heart. No. It's the last thing we should do. If, if we follow our hearts and don't consult the Scriptures with our brains, then we'll go off into all kind of nonsense. Our hearts will lie to us in a heartbeat. <laughs> In a heart, never. And if we're not paying attention, we'll believe it. Because I want to tell you the truth: it takes effort; it takes uh, extreme effort to follow Christ instead of following your heart. I- every day, I-, I come up with. I can see different moments where man, if I follow my heart, I mean, I might have some temporary happiness, but it I'd have some eternal problems. That's why it's so difficult. Because the listen, the, the world around us is telling us constantly, just what if it makes if it makes you happy, whatever makes you happy. Just follow your heart that's a lie that's a lie straight from the devil have, have we ever considered the the possibility that maybe God is more concerned with our holiness than he is with our happiness that's a struggle to even think about that and maybe he's in and, and, and let me let me Add a qualifier to that. I don't believe God is unconcerned with our happiness. I just think if you gotta prioritize, holiness comes first. Right? Holiness is more important than happiness. And that's a struggle. Because in this sinful world and, and under the curse we live in here in this world. That we struggle with every day. Everything around us tells us, "Follow your heart, do what makes you happy," and that's not always what God says is right. And that's the struggle. So that's the the explanation. Now look at the application in verses twenty nine and thirty. And this is uh, these both of these go back to that verse in Jeremiah seventeen nine about the heart being. Uh, desperately wicked and sick, deceitful. He says in verse 29, he talks about your eye, your right eye, and in verse 30, he talks about your right hand. And in both cases, he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, we talk about severe, tear it out. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Now, is Jesus really saying, "Pluck your eyes out, cut your hand"? I mean, no, no. Let me let me try to uh, put it into more understandable terms. If your eyes cause you to sin, then don't look. If your hands or your actions—what we're talking about—your actions cause you to sin, then don't do that. There was an old it was an old sketch from Saturday Night Live like I don't know, at least twenty years ago. Bob Newhart is playing a counselor. And this woman comes in for counseling. And she's telling him her problem and what worries her. And he says, All right, I got I got two words for you, it's gonna change your life. And she's just she's got a pad out, she's ready to write it, she wants to write down what his counsel is, and here's what he says. Stop it. <laughs> just what? Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Just stop it. Like it's that simple. But but that's that's almost exactly what Jesus is saying here. If if looking in certain directions uh, causes you to stumble, well then just don't look there. And if certain actions cause you to stumble, well then don't do that. Like it's not rocket science. It makes no sense if a. Hypothetically, if a church has a ministry that's trying to help those who have struggled with alcoholism, and let's say you're going to some local bar or something trying to reach out to folks who are struggling with that, if you have a recovering alcoholic in your congregation, that's probably not the best ministry for them. Right? If it's at the church, if they're trying to counsel with folks, then yes, absolutely. But you don't want to take someone who struggles, you know has struggled with a particular sin, and you're going to take them and put them right in the middle of a terrible environment, which is going to cause more and more temptation for them? It's a terrible idea. So it's as if Jesus is almost saying, use the brain I gave you if going a certain place or seeing certain people or engaging in certain activities, if those things cause you to stumble, well then just don't do that. You know, it's not, it's not that difficult to figure out. Don't, do the, don't put yourself willingly into situations that you know before you even go there are going to cause you to struggle with sin. Right? Right? That just seems like... That's logical. That seems smart. If I struggle with alcohol, I'm not going to go meet my friend at a uh, at a bar. You know, who to fault? And, and so, uh, applying these principles, trying to be smart and, and follow Scripture and do the things that Jesus tells us to do, our hearts cause thoughts, our thoughts lead to looks, looks lead to words, words lead to actions, and the things that we, listen to this, the things you think about constantly, most likely you will do eventually. Guard your your heart. Guard your thoughts. Guard the input. Right? What what are we pouring into ourselves? And, And here's what I mean by that. What am I listening to? What am I looking at? Let's be even more specific. What what music do I listen to? What TV shows or movies do I watch? Or you know what media am I taking in? Sometimes you'll take this thing right here, just get rid of it. It's it's such a useful tool. It's so helpful in so many ways. And it's also straight from the devil sometimes. You have to be able to balance those things. I I read some statistics uh, just last night when I was rereading all this. One in five churchgoers and one in seven pastors struggle daily with pornography. And I wish I had... I've got the page actually pulled up on my iPad, and my iPad is somewhere else. Uh, So I want to make sure that I don't misquote these statistics. But I want to say 90% of teenagers and 95% of young adults have viewed pornography at least once by age 12? i tell you where you, where you want to go. You want to see some staggering statistics? There's a, an application that helps people guard their computers and, and uh, devices against going places they don't need to go. It's called Covenant Eyes. It's a very, very popular, very good application, Covenant Eyes. Their website has all these statistics. You can Google it. That's what I did. And, and they give you a whole page of statistics. And you can verify what, what I'm telling you. It's a terrible, um, it's a terrible influence, and this is why Jesus, I believe, goes to such an extent to help us guard ourselves about something as simple as our eyes or our ears or you know where we, what we are thinking. It makes a, a big difference. And so when Jesus goes through this explanation and then applies it and says, look, if your, if your eyes are causing you to stumble, then maybe you need to pay closer attention to what you're looking at. If your actions are causing you to stumble, maybe you need to pay closer attention to what you're doing, where you're going. And here's a, here's a truth, that that uh, kind of a conclusion that comes from this teaching. If... Let me. I want to be real careful how I say this. If we are dead set on following Jesus, if that's what we're committed to doing, then nothing is too valuable to get rid of to guard ourselves from sin. It, and that is, if we are really devoted to, I am I'm following Jesus at all costs, I don't care what what comes my way, I am following Jesus. If that's the case, then nothing is too valuable to get rid of to fight against temptation. But So, so that leads us to the other real kind of soul-searching question. How committed am I really to... Living a holy and righteous life before God, because that—I mean, it really—that's what it boils down to, right? Because we can, there, there's going to be sin around us everywhere we go. All—I mean, there's it's a sinful world, right? So you can't escape temptation completely and still be in the world. I mean, this is what. The whole monastic movement, you know, that's why monks—they they tried to do that. They tried to separate themselves, and then guess—guess guess what they found out? This is an interesting study. You know, if you look at church history, you know what the monks discovered. No matter how separate they were from the world, you know what they could never separate themselves from: their mind and their heart. Because guess what? Wherever you—in the words of Yogi Berra. Wherever you go, there you are, and, and as long as you're there, your brain and your heart are right there with you. And you can't escape your sinful nature. You can you can escape some sinful outside influence, but you can't escape your own heart and your mind, and that's where all this lives, right? So, so how really how devoted are we? going to be in following Christ and and living according to His Word? What are we willing to rid ourselves of? What are we willing to get rid of to help us follow Jesus more closely? Does that make sense? Because here's, here's the conclusion. That it's only... It's only one line. Our hearts are wicked. That's just the truth. And, and we, we, all, all alone, we are not strong enough to win the battle. We got, we got to run to Jesus. That, that's our on, our only chance of success and victory is to stay as close to Jesus as possible. so I'll, I'll ask you, where are you? Where are you standing? Are you standing close to Jesus? Are you staying there? do you do you know Jesus? Or maybe the better question is, does he know you? Does He know your name? Does He have it written down? Have you trusted in Christ? That's the biggest question you have to deal with right now. Have you come to a point in your life, individually, forget everybody else sitting in the room, have you come to a point in your life where you have been convicted of the sin that is in you and you have cried out to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Have you trusted in Jesus, surrendered to Him? All your faith, all your trust are in Him, Him alone. Because if you have not, then you are going, you're, you're walking through life unprotected. You're just, you're just an easy target. What they call in law enforcement terms, you're a soft target. Easy picking for the enemy. Got to run to Jesus. Got to do it now. There's no time like the present. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word.